And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt. He serves as Senior Pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, New York. Kevin, it's great to have you with us today. Good to be with you, Dan. This is a wonderful time of year. It is the Advent season. Many churches are celebrating that. And now it's less than one week away until Christmas itself. So to get us started today, let's talk about that, Kevin, and what exactly is Advent? Well, Dan, Advent comes from a word which means appearing or coming. And of course, it speaks of the appearance or the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the becoming flesh of the second person of the Holy Trinity. And so what we are celebrating at this time of year, or at least what many churches celebrate, is the descent of the eternal Son of God into our flesh for us men and our salvation, as the creed puts it. And so we're at this time of the year focused on the central luminous mystery of the Christian faith, namely that God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, has become man in Jesus Christ. And so that in Jesus Christ, we meet one who is fully God and fully man and who has descended for our sakes. And there are really three things that are happening at Advent all at the same time, and they all converge on Jesus and his incarnation. And that's why this is such a rich and a fruitful time of reflection and remembrance and renewal uh, for the church of Jesus Christ. And so there's a couple things here. First, Advent is a time for the church to reflect on the fulfillment of Israel's history, the prophetic word, the promises to the fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the great prophecies beginning in Genesis chapter 3, where God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent, the great Proto-Evangelion, meaning the first preaching of the gospel. As soon as man fell, God promised a redeemer. And those promises are developed in the, in the covenant that God makes with Abraham and the promise of an Abrahamic seed. They're developed further in the Mosaic covenant and in the law and in the prophets. Here, I think especially of the great and numerous prophecies of Isaiah, which speak of a coming day of the Lord, of one who would be born of a virgin, of one who would be the wonderful counselor and the prince of peace, of one who would be a branch or a shoot from the, from the root of Jesse, Jesse being David's father. The Isaiahianic prophecies speak of a Davidic Messiah, one who comes from the line of David, who will bring justice and righteousness and ultimately peace in the earth. And these prophecies expand as we get into the Psalms and we see promises of the Messianic Davidic king. And so there's a deluge of Old Testament prophecy and expectation, which is consummated and fulfilled in the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why in churches which celebrate Advent, many of the readings are 
from Isaiah or from Jeremiah or from Malachi or from Zephaniah or the Psalms, which speak of this great expectation, this longing of Israel. And many of the great Advent hymns um, touch this theme in a beautiful and wonderful way. Hymns like, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or Come Thou Long, Expected Jesus. There's this long historical expectation uh, embedded in Israel's history, and that expectation meets its initial and ultimately its final fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so that is the first thing, and a momentous one indeed, that is happening at Advent. But two other things are happening at the same time. These are not three separate things. These are all three ways of looking into the the glorious mystery of Jesus Christ's appearance. First, then, we have this fulfillment of Israel's history in the Old Testament prophetic promises. But at the same time, Jesus does not simply emerge from Israel's history. He is not simply the product of the line of David. He's the eternal son of God. And so there is at the same time that Israel's history is being gathered up, there is a descent, a humbling, a stooping down of the eternal son of God into our flesh. If you will, there's a kind of vertical from heaven to earth line, which comes in bisects Israel's long history. And both of these things happen in Jesus Christ. God comes to us. He seeks us. He shows himself as desirous of the world's reconciliation and our salvation. He gives us this gift of his son. And so that is the second thing that happens. As John puts it, the word, the eternal word of God, who was God, who was with God, became flesh dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Uh, John says later in his first epistle, we handled and we touched and we saw the word of life. And then we, the apostles who encountered Jesus proclaimed that in the gospel and in the proclamation of the church. So that's the second thing that's going on. But the mystery of Advent is a little richer and fuller than that because there is a third thing going on, namely this Jesus who consummates Israel's history, who descends from heaven to earth, is also bringing the future into our present time. He comes in the, in the power of the Spirit, which is the power of the age to come, so that in Jesus Christ, the future consummated glory of the new heavens and the new earth, the future fullness of the kingdom of God breaks into this time, into this current age, this present age, which is passing away, which the apostle Paul will sometimes refer to as this present evil age, this age which is bound up with death and disintegration. Into this age breaks the future, breaks the the peace which is destined to overwhelm and flood the creation. For the prophetic promises are not simply that the Messiah will come as a suffering servant and atone for our sins, though that is central to them. They are also that the Messiah will make wars to cease till the end of the earth, that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so 
in Jesus, there is a beginning of the end, if you will, a breaking in of the future into our time. And that's what the significance is of Jesus's proclamation when he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the whole New Testament bears witness to the fact that we, as believers in Christ, as those who have been given the gift of the Spirit, we participate or partake already in the gifts which are destined to be consummated and to restore the whole creation. So all three of these things, the summing up of Israel's history, the descent of the Son of God from heaven to earth, and the inbreaking of the future consummated kingdom, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom where death is destroyed, where the cosmos is healed and reconciled, where the martyrs are vindicated, where the dead are raised, where righteous and just and equitable judgment has been administered, a kingdom of everlasting life and joy, where there is no curse, no tear, no sorrow, no death. That kingdom has arrived in Jesus Christ. And all three of those things are what we reflect on and what we celebrate in Advent. And so we find that at Advent, we're doing a couple things. We're remembering, we're rejoicing, and we're anticipating in hope the second coming. One of the things that strikes a person who um, may not be familiar with the church's um, lectionary, its, its readings, its, its, its um, system of readings for Advent, is that many of these readings, while some deal with Israel, some deal with the incarnation, many of them deal with the second coming because the first coming of Christ is a foretaste of the second. It's locked into the second coming. It is the second coming, if you will, um, partially in advance breaking into this age. So we're remembering, we're rejoicing, but we're also hoping. And so there's an element of joyful repentance in, in Advent. Some of these texts that we focus on in Advent are about understanding the time that has come in Jesus and thus casting away the deeds of darkness and putting on the armor of light. And so Advent began historically as a penitential season, a season of repentance. Now it doesn't, that is not its fundamental purpose now, but it has in it that element because as well as remembering and celebrating what has come in Jesus Christ, we anticipate and we yearn for and we are refocused on the hope that is yet to be fulfilled when Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who has come as man, who has lived, died, and been raised, who has ascended, who has given the Spirit, who governs the church, comes again in glory at the end of the age. And this confluence of things is what makes Advent so fundamentally rich. Oh, that's perfect. Kevin, have you ever found where a person says, wow, this is really good stuff. Uh, I didn't realize all this, but it feels like um, it feels like maybe they would say Roman Catholic, and they might say, well, is it really appropriate for us as Protestants to celebrate Advent? Have you ever found that question popping up? Yes, Dan, you you do come across that with some frequency. I think the way to approach this uh, has a couple of prongs. One would be that it is true that we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ every Sunday. In much the same way that 
uh, we might answer an objection to celebrating Easter by saying, yes, of course, it is true. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. But we are limited creatures and we can only reflect on certain things in, you know, at a certain time. We can't celebrate, reflect on, meditate on, uh, draw from the deep wells of scripture on every theme every week. And so in any church tradition, even a church which doesn't celebrate Advent, there are going to be times of the year when those churches focus on some things and then other times when they focus on other things. And so the celebration of Advent at this time of year is not a commitment to the idea that Jesus was born on December 25th. Uh, scholars are not exactly sure when he was born. It's a commitment to the idea that as human creatures who have to order their church year in some way, again, that's an important point to make. Everybody has some sort of a church year organized by somebody. The only question is, what is a wise and wholesome and beneficial and pastoral way to order the church year? And churches like Westminster, where I am the minister, um, believe that the wisdom of the church expressed in a um, gospel-centered use of some of these main themes ties us to Jesus's life and the mystery of his life and the glory of it in such a way that across the span of a year, we have time to think and reflect on the fundamental things of our Lord's person and his work on our behalf. So it's a lot like saying, you celebrate the life of another person or your anniversary with your wife every day, but that wouldn't preclude having a special time to acknowledge and honor and celebrate your marriage with your wife. And that's what Advent is for Protestants. It's important to see this. We don't think it's a um, a holy season that is uh, prescribed upon us or binding on our conscience because of some piece of canon law. And along those lines, we may differ with other traditions. We believe that it is, uh, in all Christian liberty, a wise way to order a short portion of the church's yearly celebrations of worship. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, you had mentioned something really briefly in passing that I think has also a lot of richness to it, and that is something called a lectionary. And... Um, could you explain to listeners who maybe don't have any idea what that is, why it is helpful, perhaps, for a church to, to follow that? Sure, Dan. Um, a lectionary is just a system of scripture readings that are followed throughout the church year. And uh, many Protestant churches use lectionaries, and they have a long and deep um, heritage um, pedigree, if you will, in the church's history. And so... Again, everyone is going to have to read some scripture for 52 straight Sundays. And so the question is, do we want to be systematic and orderly about this such that in our reading of scripture, we give the people of God a taste or a flavor of the whole? And if we don't, the danger would be that we would tend to read only the text that we like or the text that the pastor likes or only the text that the, the minister preaches on. So again, we don't use this. Um, as some sort of binding thing that we must follow. And, and many ministers like myself who use it will occasionally deviate from it. But your standard lectionaries have three readings every Sunday. They have an Old Testament lesson, they have a New Testament lesson, and they have a gospel lesson. 
Occasionally, there's also a psalm used, either sung or read as a fourth lesson. And the basic idea is that these lessons go through a 52-week period, and then they rotate back for the second year, and then a third year. And, and then across a period of three years, you are reading from virtually every book and every section of Scripture. Now, the lectionaries aren't perfect. They have their defects and their weaknesses, and they can be criticized here and there. But in general, they do a very good job of exposing the church to the whole warp and woof, the different texture, the different genres of scripture so that you're reading poetry and you're reading narrative and you're reading genealogies and you're reading Old Testament history and you're reading, um, you know, prophets and you're reading gospels and you're reading epistles and you're reading the apocalyptic books like Daniel and Revelation. That's the advantage of it. And you can always substitute out one of the lessons for the text that you want to preach on. Let's say you're preaching through the book of Romans. You might substitute for the New Testament lesson for a period of weeks all the text from the book of Romans you want to preach on. So you can use a lectionary and still preach right through and read right through a particular book of the Bible as well, a sort of hybrid approach which many ministers take. And so that is uh, what a lectionary is. That's what it does, and that's the... um, the wisdom behind it. And so for Advent, for example, uh, you all see in a lectionary a lot of Old Testament lessons from Isaiah and from the prophets reminding us of the promise of the coming Messiah. You will see uh, New Testament texts which speak of the the fulfillment of the uh, promises in Jesus Christ and often they point to his second coming and the need for the church to be alert and awake to repent, to to wake from sleep, to cast off its deeds of darkness, to know that he who has come will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And then with that, you have gospel lessons. And those gospel lessons will either be about the birth of Jesus Christ, you know, the the standard um, birth narratives, infancy narratives in, in the gospels, or they will often be also about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so on this matter, the lectionary helps, again, focus us on the three things I said uh, Advent consists of, namely the fulfillment of the promises to Israel, the descent from heaven to earth of the Son of God becoming man, and the inbreaking of the future kingdom and our being oriented toward that kingdom's consummation at the second coming of Jesus. So across the Advent season, which is four Sundays, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and then similar themes for a couple of Sundays after Christmas, um, across that period, you get a rich array of texts that focus us on all of these themes. Just one quick question, too. I'm wondering, do you find that besides covering um, the scriptures in like a three-year cycle and being more full-orbed about it, it seems to me it also helps unify churches kind of across the board, where if they're reading from uh, these scriptures, um, let's say you're visiting another church or you're on vacation or whatever, it seems to almost unify the churches. Yes, it's helpful, and that's part of the design and the intent. Uh, it's encouraging to know that uh, hundreds of millions of Christians will be reading and dealing with the same texts and the same themes around the same times of year that you are, and that is an advantage of the lectionary. 
Now, I do want to be clear that we, as Protestants and as uh, Christians in the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition, which which I am in and you are in, Dan, um, we use what's called an evangelical, a gospel-oriented church here. We're not celebrating feasts of saints or or, or feast feast days of the Virgin Mary or or uh, various other um, events. The, the church here focuses on the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the kingship, and the coming of Jesus Christ. So you have an Advent season, then you celebrate the baptism of Jesus. Uh, you have an Easter season, which celebrates his death and his resurrection. We, there's, an, there's an Ascension Sunday, there's Pentecost Sunday, and there's Christ the King Sunday. Um, and there are lots of Sundays in between where you're free to do all sorts of other things. It's, it's not like our use of the church year um, covers up all 52 Sundays with um, you know thematic material that you must abide by. There's plenty of time for freedom and flexibility and local concerns to be used by the pastoral ministry and yet still use an evangelical um, reformed church year. Right. Well, we've got a couple of minutes left um, before the end of a plain answer today. Is your family celebrating Christmas in any special way this year? And does Advent play into your own personal celebrations? Well, yes, we always... uh read from the gospel stories. Uh, my kids are grown and they're scattered about, but if they come here, we'll get together, hopefully, and uh, read from the from the gospel narratives and, and then go as a family to the services that Westminster has throughout the Advent season, as well as a candlelight Christmas Eve service, uh, a service of lessons and carols, which is also uh, a widely used format and service around the world uh, for Christmas Eve. And so, uh, yes, and, but, it, but we do it relatively simply. It's simply a matter of recalling the prophecies and reading their fulfillment in the Gospels. But that is the heart of what Advent is about. And in that, it's not just, again, as I said, it's not just remembrance or even rejoicing. It is repenting and acknowledging that the end has arrived and we ought to be revived and renewed in our hope of the second coming. So, you know, practically, Advent does a, a whole range of things for us. But if I could distill it down, it drives us back to the Old Testament scriptures. It's a wonderful time of year to go back to these books and these texts, which we may have neglected. And then it causes us to rejoice and sing. Advent is a time of singing and of celebration, but it is also a time of self-examination and preparation. And that is the glory of it and the usefulness of it to a family or an individual or a church. Kevin, in the last uh, minute remaining, you mentioned a Christmas Eve service that Westminster has. What time is that service and where's the church located? It's at 7.30 on Christmas Eve. And the church is located at 614 Station Road in Rock Tavern, New York. And everyone is welcome. Okay, very good. Today we've been talking with Dr. Kevin Sherritt, Senior Pastor, Westminster Presbyterian Church, Rock Tavern, New York. And Kevin, thanks for sharing with our listeners today. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. 
Dear listener, you can find this broadcast listed as a podcast on our website. Check us out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And if you have a question for Pastor Sherritt, he'd be glad to entertain your question. Just email the station. Our address is ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.